Hi, book lovers. This is Ellen Hildebrand, best-selling author of 30 books, including The Hotel Nantucket and The Perfect Couple. And this is Tim Ehrenberg, creator of Tim Talks Books. And you're listening to Books, Beach and Beyond, presented by N Magazine. We'll be diving into the wonderful world of books and featuring special guests from best-selling and award-winning writers, publishing industry insiders, agents and editors, book influencers, and more. There's nothing Ellen and I love more than talking about books. And our favorite question to ask each other is, what are you reading? But we'll go even further here on the show, exploring the craft of writing, the process of book publishing, and that wonderful connection a reader has with a favorite book. But before we head into our episode, we want to take this opportunity to thank our incredible premier sponsors, Nantucket Book Partners, Marine Home Center, the Nantucket Hotel, Cartelina, and Nantucket Looms. Without their generous support, we wouldn't be able to bring you these fascinating conversations with some of the most dynamic leaders from the book world. So thank you. And now on to the show. Hi, Ellen. Hi, Tim. I'm going to start today talking about a word that I love to apply to reading, and that's the word connection. Because I think when you're reading a book, there is so there are so many connections that you have, reader and writer, reader with the characters. And I want to talk about connection that you have with your readers on the page and off of it. Well, I mean, my connection with my readers is extremely special. How did that happen? I don't know. I think it was the fact that I have a book out every year, and it comes in the summer. And so a lot of times the readers connect the my novels with their summertime, right? So it mm-hmm. becomes like part of their tradition. And, and it's year after year. So then year after year, the connection grows stronger. And then, of course, you know, in 2014, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I decided I was just going to come right out with it and tell my readers. And that's when, like, the love really happened. And yeah, that true connection absolutely. of the person of Ellen. Yeah. Yes. Our guest today has such a connection with her readers. And I am so excited to have you introduce her. Everybody, just sit down. Here we go, baby. It is Colleen Hoover. Woohoo! The number one New York Times bestselling author of 24 novels and novellas, and basically queen of the world, you guys. Hoover writes contemporary romance as well as psychological thrillers. Colleen Hoover is published by Atria Books, Grand Central Publishing, Montlake Romance, and HarperCollins. Colleen is the co-founder of both the Bookworm Box Charity and the annual Book Bonanza signing. She resides in Texas with her husband, who is legit. Welcome. Welcome, Welcome, Coho. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Honestly, this is like a dream come true. I've been a huge fan for a long time, as well as my mother. I actually buy your books for her. Oh, that's so nice. Because she loves you so much. So she's excited that I'm on here today. Okay, good. Hi, Mom. (laughs) Hi, Colleen's mom. (laughs) All right. I want to, we're going to start, I mean, you're single-handedly keeping the publishing industry afloat. So thank you from me. Same from bookstores. Thank you. And I want to start with your origin story. I've I've read certain versions of it, but I want to hear it from you. How did you start writing novels and then, and then take us through it from start to now, where we are now. Oh, gosh. How long is this podcast? I know, right? <laughs> it can be as long as you I, want it, Coho. <laughs> I actually have always wanted to be a writer, but never thought... I I don't know. I just never thought I was good enough or literary enough. And I was a social worker for the state of Texas. It was about 2011 and my coworkers and I were just addicted to reading that year. And we were trading books and we were reading Charlene Harris's Sookie Stackhouse series and, you know, all of these just fun, quick reads. And as I was reading them, I was like, oh, you mean I can write books like this? Like I can write fun books with you know, characters that I can relate to. It doesn't have to be literary. And and so I started writing my first book at the end of 2011. Most of that had to do with I, boredom because my husband was a truck driver over the road. I had three small children and it was my escape. I didn't even, you know, start the book to hopefully publish it and get it out there. I just needed to write and I missed it because I had put it on hold for all of my 20s, like up until college. And then throughout my 20s, as I was raising these three little boys, 
I never wrote. And then I was 31 and sat down and started writing this story that turned into a book. And I, it was, it was crazy how it happened. And I kind of hate talking about it because it came very easy for me. And so I feel like I didn't pay my dues, but I wrote my first book slammed, self-published it New Year's Day in now, 2012. Let me interrupt you because I yeah. I don't even know what that means. So when you say you self-published it, did you just put it on the internet? Did you get a publisher? Did it come yeah, out in bookstores? So I, I knew nothing about the publishing industry. I knew nothing. When I tell you I knew nothing, like literally, I, I didn't even know like authors needed an agent. And so I knew that my grandmother wanted to read this story I had written because my mom read it, my sisters read it. I mean, I was just handing them pages, you know, to read. And I researched how to get it on the Kindle we had bought her for Christmas. And that's when I came across Amazon's KDP self-publishing program. And I had never heard of self-publishing. I had already written this book and then came across, you know, the forum and started reading all of the conversations that the self-published authors were having back and forth. And I learned everything in that forum. I read the entire forum and I was like, oh my gosh, I can just throw this book up on Amazon, slap a cover on it. I used one of their free covers. I mean, I had wow. no money to buy a cover or <laughs> right. have a cover designer. My little sister edited, edited the book for me. And that was January. And by May, it hit the New York Times as a self-published book just from word of mouth like my sisters read it and then their friends read it and then they were having people read it and yeah it was in it was insane that is insane it is it Th is that's but insane. you know it was very very good timing it was right when self-publishing was taking off and there were a lot of groups on facebook that i had found that that readers were in that were enjoying the indie books and the market wasn't flooded then. Like if I if I tried that now, there's no way anyone would have gotten their hands on that book. So it really is a serious series of fortunate events, to be honest. Did you already have that social media following behind you when you put the book out or not necessarily? No, no. I love going back and looking at because I still have the same Facebook page that I had before I wrote my first book. And I love going back and looking at the statuses I wrote and there were zero likes and zero comments. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's a different ballgame now because I, I just left that one and, and made it public. So, no, I, I didn't put any money into marketing. You guys, I, I was a working mom, worked full time, three young children. We were broke. We had, you know, lived in a, a house we paid $14,000 for. Like, it, it was insane. And I remember getting my first check that was like $50 or something um, from KDP. And I called my husband and I'm like, oh my gosh, we could pay the water bill. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and I thought that's what, you know, was going to happen. And that was the, you know, climax is we got to pay a bill with the story I wrote. And, you know, I was so happy because I had zero expectations going into it, which I think helped mentally going into this career, just that it all happened so organically and with zero expectations. I mean, now you have several publishers, which I find so interesting. Do you have different editors for each publisher? And how does all that work? And I think Ellen's question was, who's your North Star? Is there one that really stands out for you? Yeah, definitely Atria, which is a division of Simon & Schuster. They've been publishing me for years and have most of my books. And the books that aren't with them it's ju it just kind of happened in a weird way. Like, you know, I self-published a few, did some with Atria, self-published some while I was with Atria. And then my editor left, my publicist left. There were a lot of, there was a lot of turnover. The The CEO of Atria left and, and it felt right at that time. Like, oh, maybe it's time for me to try something else. And so I self-published Verity and and kind of was done, you know, with my contracts with Atria. And so then I was on my own. And this was around 2018. And my agent called and she was like, I really think you would like this editor on from Montlake, who's been very interested in you. I haven't brought her up because you've been happy with Atria. Would you like to have a phone conversation with her? And so I spoke to on loved her and decided to to give them a book and ended up writing three books for them 
And that's when everything kind of took off. I got an offer from Grand Central. And so I spoke to that editor, loved her, and they bought Verity. And so it turned out that I had all these books with Atria, now books with Montlake. Then Grand Central came into the picture. And then I signed a new contract with Atria for more romance novels because Grand Central was more interested in my thrillers. And so now I just have various publishers and I love all of them. And so it's been very hard to, you know, like say, okay, I'm going to be completely committed to this one and publish everything with this one because I, I would feel bad for the connections I've made with the editors at the other ones I've worked with. And so I'm just, you know, I'm like, I'm happy with, with, where I'm at and and what I give each publisher and and they're allowing me the freedom to do that and it just makes me feel I don't know like I have more control over what I write and it doesn't matter if it you know matches the brand that Atria has for me or if it's a thriller or so yeah that's how it worked out it's just been I just want to point out to our listener that this is highly unusual And you know that, Colleen, right? So, I mean, I've been with Little Brown. I was with St. Martin's for five books. I switched in 2006. I've been with Little Brown and Little Brown and Grand Central are owned by Hachette. So we're, we, when you're at Grand Central, you and I are technically published by the same people, but it's highly unusual to have more than one publisher. So I only have one publisher. And in a way it's, it, it must feel so freeing like really the person in charge is you right Right. and you're so successful now that i can't imagine anybody puts any constraints on you i'm sure they're just thrilled with whatever you give them i feel like that that is true and i feel like in a way i kind of take advantage of that but also i've i've come into this industry really backwards, you know, like I didn't have publishers. I did everything on my own. You know, I had people in my family. My little sister became a cover designer and was making my covers and editing my books. And, and so it's been a, a, you know, this career that I've had complete control over. And so when I signed with a publisher, it wasn't this huge, like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy. It felt like I was giving away a part of this thing that I had worked so hard to build and it made me nervous. And, and so for me, it was much harder to go with a publisher than to just have complete control and do it myself. And so when a publisher, you know, wants, wants to say like, oh, well, you know, we're going to sign you and, and you are, you have to be loyal to us. It's so easy for me to say, okay, then I'd rather do it (laughs) myself. And so that's why I continue to self-publish all these years because I don't know, I've never really needed the accolades that come with traditional publishing because I got into this self-publishing and I'm very proud of that. And I love the indie world. And so for me, it was just a matter of, I just want my book in my reader's hands. I don't care how it gets there. Right. So do you have an agent? You have an agent. I do. Yes. And at what point did you get your agent in this journey? So I have a friend, Tracy Garvis Graves, who's an author. And very early on, you know, I had met a few authors in Facebook groups and she was one of them. And when Slammed and my second book, Point of Retreat, had both hit the New York Times, I started getting contacted by publishers and I had no idea what to do. And so I, you know, just in one of my author friend groups was just asking, does anyone you know, have a direction? Do I need an agent at this point? I don't know how to make these decisions. And I was getting, you know, foreign offers that I had no idea how to deal with. And she introduced me to Jane Distel with Distel and Godrich. And I had a phone conversation with her and I've been with Jane ever since. That's so funny. When I was at, I went to the University of Iowa Writers Workshop and Jane was the very first agent that came to visit oh, really? Iowa. Yeah. Small world. Um, I want to, I want to talk about your massive, massive, massive success. And I am well aware that although it looks good from the outside, that it probably has its downsides, right? Because everything is in balance. So how do you manage the positive and the negative? And can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I don't. I don't know how to manage it. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, this whole this whole past 12 years, I guess, is what it's been. You know, every year just gets a little bigger. And every year I think, well, this is as big as it can get. And then, you know, then 2020, 2021 happened and TikTok. And I'm just like, what is happening? 
you know, my husband and I both just, you know, sometimes wake up and we're like, how, how? Because it's not like I'm out there seeking it. I was very, very happy and content with kind of being under the radar and being able to have a career out of this and have this connection with this, you know, rather, I would call it at the time, a manageable, small reader base. And so I was very happy. And I always used to say, I don't think I want it to get bigger. I don't think I can handle that. <laughs> like I, you know, and, and it, and it got bigger and, you know, there are a lot of negatives that come with that, that I'm having to get used to. And so it's an ongoing process. I haven't mastered anything, you know, it's like every day I get up and just kind of have to still myself and be like, okay, we're not going to go on TikTok today. We're not going to go on Goodreads <laughs> today. We need to write and we need to be in a positive headspace because, you know, with with the larger audience and the, the more positivity and the more readers you get, the more hate you get. And so that's something that I think all of us as, you know, people that gain a following have to just learn how to best deal with. And I've noticed my best friend is time, like time and exposure to it make me more numb to it. And so every day that passes, it gets easier. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a quick break from our conversation with Colleen Hoover so we can thank our sponsor, Hatch's Package Store. Hatch's Package Store is Nantucket's go-to place for the largest selection of beer, wine, and spirits on island. Hatch's always stocks your favorite brands. In addition to vintage and rare Bordeaux, hard-to-get bourbons and whiskeys, and world-class tequilas and mezcals. Their knowledgeable staff can recommend something for every price point and can acquire a wide range of offerings, even ones you may not easily find on island. Planning a special celebration? Hatches can work with your caterer to recommend the perfect pairings for any sized occasion. For more information, visit ackhatches.com. How much do we love Hatches? If I'm having guests or even a night party, I go to Hatches and I get everything I need right there. I have to tell you, I've been going to Hatches for 30 years. In the summer of 1993, that was the summer I was introduced to champagne by a boyfriend I had that year who then became my husband and is now my beloved ex-husband. But I would go there to, and I would I bought my very first bottle of champagne by myself at Hatches. Another life moment, I used to take Max when he was a teeny tiny baby in his bucket and now Max is old enough to drink. And, oh, I, wow. and he, now he goes to Hatches. That's amazing. I know. Hatches is just centrally located. It's the perfect place to get it. I mean, it has everything that you need. And the prices are great. Yes. Thank you, Hatches. We love you, Hatches. I think I don't think people realize like how much like in in addition to the many, 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 many huge, enormous fans you have. Then you have these people who, you know, occasionally get through the net. Right. And they. Yeah. And you, and it, it can and it hurts. And it's. And to be able to shut that off, to be able to do what you do best is right. It's distracting. It's, yeah. Right. When right. I think of fans of authors, I think of the cohorts. I think of the Hilder babes and they are out of this world. I think they're next level, both of them. And I started this episode asking Ellen what she thinks she puts on the page that creates that connection. And so I want to ask the same question to you. What, like, what do you think it is that people have connected so beautifully with? You know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. And I, if I knew, I would bottle it up. I would teach it. I would, you know, I just, at first, you know, I kind of thought, well, it's because of my online interaction. Like they support me because I feel like they're my friends. But now it's at a point where most of the people that read my books don't even follow me or even know what I look like. It's just, you know, the books are in airports and bookstores and they grab them. And, and I don't know. I really don't. I have, I've wondered the same thing myself. I want to talk about it ends with us a little bit. I, but I'm older than you are, and when I was growing up, everybody in the universe read Flowers in the Attic by V.C. Anders. That is probably the book that defines my generation, and which is weird because it was this weird book about incest. Yeah. <laughs> like, incest. So, we all read it. We all read yeah. it. I am convinced, I am convinced that It Ends With Us is, is the defining book of the generation oh my gosh, that wow. is, yeah, I think it's, I think it's flowers in the attic, you know, so much better. And the thing about it that I want to point out is that 
the message being that you do not have to stay in an abusive relationship and the influence that you have over all of these young minds so that as opposed to when we were growing up like this is a message that you are giving these girls you know my own daughter included what what does that feel like you know just it's hard to explain deciding to write this book i if i knew like what the book would end up being i think i would have been too terrified to write it you know it was just a book i needed to personally write to understand my mother i i i can't explain it the, this book is probably the one that means the most to me it was the one that i actually you know ran this idea by my editor at the time and and i write horrible synopsis for my books you know and so when i tell my editor like this is what i want to write without actually writing it yet i'm sure they look at it and they go oh i don't know about that because that's that's exactly what happened she was like yeah i don't know i think you know we need a more clear-cut book boyfriend like that's what you're known for and i just felt so strongly about this book and writing it and so i go well you know what i'm just going to write it and if you don't like it then um, we'll see what happens and i remember writing it and her reading it and she was like yeah yeah okay I, I i get where you're coming from now it's not about the love between you know the the main characters of the book it's about like the love between a mother and her daughter yeah it's it's been insane seeing especially the messages i get from people that have read the book and have actually took taken action right you know that's crazy do you find that you're that you experience because i'm sure i'm just gonna guess colleen i don't know for sure i'm guessing you get a ton of messages of people talking about their own stories yeah yeah and do you experience any secondary trauma from reading your your those comments i don't i don't think i do because they're mostly like this is the problem i was having i read your book i it helped me solve this problem. And so it's not so much secondary trauma. It's more like I, I'm, I'm so happy for them, you know? So it's actually a good thing. I don't, I don't. And I actually, you know, I was very involved when this book came out because the book came out in 2016. It's just had this resurgence, you know, since TikTok and Back then, I was way more involved in the people that were reading it. We had an online Facebook group. We had discussions with it. I am I am more separate now from my emails. And so to avoid the negative emails, right. I just have my assistant send me the positive ones. <laughs> and so there's not a lot of secondary trauma when you have a buffer. Okay, there. good. Okay, good. <laughs> this might be too personal, but did your mom and you able to talk about it after you wrote it and after she read it? And what kind of conversations happen from that? So my mother is like my hero, my best friend. She's just this amazing, independent woman who, and this was the vision I had of her growing up, you know, and that's kind of why I wanted to write the book because I could not wrap my mind around the relationship she had with my biological father. And I had a relationship with my biological father growing up and he actually was very honest with me and 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 i heard most of the stuff from him like my mom never spoke a negative word about my dad i just kind of pried because i knew stuff had happened i have memories of certain things happening and it it just blew my mind i'm like how how did you end up in a relationship like this and and the more i thought about it the more i kind of wanted to put myself in her shoes by writing this book to see the struggle that she went through. And I remember after she read it, she called me and she was trying to say something and she couldn't because she was crying. Mm -hmm. And so she texted me and was like, until I read your book, I still wasn't sure if I did the right thing. I felt bad for taking you girls away from your dad. And I felt some responsibility and y'all not having the relationship with him that you could have. And so I didn't know that all this time, like she still kind of regretted it and felt like a bad mother. And I'm like, so it was healing for her to see. Yeah. Like, okay, no, it would have been so much worse had I stayed. Like they couldn't have had a relationship with their dad like they did if I had stayed. And we wouldn't have had the view of our mother that we did had she stayed. Like, you know, the 
the per the the things that she went through when we were young and the person she was was not the person that um, raised us. And so, I think it was healing for both of us in a huge way. I love that. Talk about connection. I know you're listening. We love you, mom. We love you, mom. (laughs) So, Colleen, I write novels, obviously, set on Nantucket. That's the thread that connects all of my novels. What you've, you've written in a number of genres, what would you say is the thing that connects your novels? What makes something a Colleen Hoover novel? That's a good question. I love Easter eggs. You're always going to have a character eating lasagna when something bad's about to happen. <laughs> but other than that, okay, I I got a degree in social work, and so I I will never forget on the last day of like one of the trainings we were at. We had like a, this six week training. They were handing out awards, and my award was the devil's advocate because. Every situation they would pose in class, I would be like, but what if, what, you know, like I always liked to put myself in someone else's shoes. And so I always like to play devil's advocate. And it's not always like, there's not always a villain in my book. Sometimes life is the villain. And it's like, you know, like taking with it ends with us, you know, taking a book and, and making it like where, you know, we're not seeing this villain monster throughout the whole book. We're seeing this human who sometimes has really bad moments that are affecting his whole life and ruining the life of the woman he loves, but he does love her. How would you deal with this? And so it's, it's just a lot of me liking to play devil's advocate whenever I, and there are people who are team Ryle, which I find quasi shocking, but it's, (laughs) it's, it's due to the, you know, the quality and of your writing because you didn't make him totally horrible, which would have been a right. very easy choice, you know, right. and he does have things about him that are redeeming and, and it's, it's so complex. It's much more complex than I think maybe it seems. And, and that's really a tribute. Well, you struggle in each part. You're like, you. wait, I like him. And you're yeah. like, wait, how can I like him? Right. That's kind of right. that kind of thing. I want to talk about another one of your very popular novels, Verity. And I want to talk about the ending, but in a very non-spoiler <laughs> way, because okay. TikTok, Instagram, everyone talks about that ending. Did you always know the ending of that book? I did not. So when did you when did you know that you were going to end it that way? So Verity was a completely different writing experience for me. I was obsessed with writing that book. And that was the fastest I've ever written a book. And I self-published it. So when you self-publish a book, you can finish it one day and it can be in readers' hands the next day. Wow, you know, yeah. and so... It was two weeks before I released the book that I woke up. I didn't wake up. You know, when you lay in bed at night and think about your plot and think about, mm-hmm. you know, the characters. I remember laying there, not still not knowing how to end it. And I, I was so close to the end. And then I got the idea for the ending and got out of bed and was up all night um, <laughs> taking notes for it. So I went into that book having no idea who the bad guy was and how it was going to end. And I think it helps because I write and first person present tense and so I feel what my characters are feeling if they're confused I'm confused it's almost like watching a movie that I haven't seen but that I'm in control of somehow because I'll be in the middle of writing sometimes and then something will happen a big plot twist and I'll be shocked and I'll be like oh no how how do I get myself out of this thing that just happened but that's kind of how Verity came out the ending at least I actually outlined that entire book in one night and I don't usually outline so yeah that whole experience was just different I had so much fun with it wow I mean my favorite question on this podcast is always to ask both of you something do you ever regret endings like the ending that you put out there are you ever like oh I wish I would have done this later or not I don't I don't know that I regret endings. I regret lots of things throughout the book, not just the endings, but there's not like an ending. I would say that I would go back and rewrite, maybe slow them down a little. Sometimes I feel like I rush when I get to the end because I'm so ready for the book to be done and and to start the editing process. But yeah, I pretty much have lots of regrets with lots of my books. (laughs) Do you have, like, is there any ending you're like, oh, I should have given them a different ending? No, no, I, no, I always feel like my, my, you know, and I don't write sequels unless I'm doing a series, but I always think at the end, I set them down safely and I walk away and I never, oh, I, I, ne- I never think about them. I, I try and leave I everybody, everybody in a safe place and then I move on. Colleen, who do you like to read? 
who was your like who was your inspiration when you started writing? And then part B to this question is, what do you want to say to the people? And I'm sure there are many who want to follow in your footsteps. I'm all over the place with what I read. I don't have a particular genre. I had actually never read a romance novel until the month before I started writing my first book. Wow. I thought I hated romance. I was one of those snooty people who was, you know, like, oh, no, I don't want to read about love. And then when I started reading about love, I was like, oh, my gosh, it's so much fun. (laughs) I love Emily Henry. She's I I just love her dialogue. I'm obsessed with it. Tiffany De Bartolo has three or four novels out. I love her sentence structure. I just sometimes will pick up one of her books and I'm like, why can't I write like this? I like those kind of books that make me jealous of my own capabilities. As far as what I would say to people who want to follow in my footsteps is don't. Don't try to follow in anyone's footsteps. Try to carve your own path. I think that's the thing that worked for me was I never cared what was selling. I never followed trends. I wrote what I was in the mood to write. I wrote when I felt like writing. I don't know how you do it, how you can, you know, you're very structured, it seems, and you put a book out every summer. And I would love to hear your process because mine's completely, I have no process at all. And I'm like, I'll be lucky if I get a book out every year. I'm not going to have one this year because I haven't written. And then sometimes I'll have two or three books. Yeah. I mean, I'm like sort of the opposite of that because I have had a Nantucket summer novel every summer. So I have my like, and and the thing is, is I take it easy on myself on the day to day. So like my days are different, but I try and write every single day. And, but I don't like, I don't, I don't like keep myself to a word count and I don't I don't do any of that. I just write when, any single yeah. time I get a chance to write because I've got, you know, I'm raising four kids. I've got a lot, a lot going on. So anytime I can write, I will write. I always look at it as a gift to be able to write and somehow I get them done. But I have like they're due. It's due on Halloween. I go to, move to Boston. I do my revisions for six weeks. I turn it in. I listen to my editor. She makes the best decisions. And I, you know, I go through a very rigorous and and that's why I'm retiring, Colleen, because I can't do it. <laughs> I can't. So my 2024 novel will be my last novel. And the reason is because Congratulations. I... Congratulations. Thank you. That's exciting. I am running out of, you know, it's, it's very, very strenuous and I'm running out of ideas and I just want to make sure that every book is as good or better than the last. So yeah, so I'm putting an end to it. How many have you written? I've written 29 novels. So next year will be 30. I am writing two books with my daughter set at a New England boarding school. So those yeah, will so be... stop saying you're retiring. Okay. I'm retiring the Nantucket <laughs> Summer Novel. The Nantucket Summer Novel show is going yes. to be over. Yes. Okay. Who are your <laughs> authors that you would like I mentioned the cohorts and the Hilder Babes. Who is that for you? Who would you stand in line for? Who would you wear a t shirt? Who would you buy a merch? Is there one author that stands out that you have that connection with? I think again, Emily Henry just because I'm I'm kind of obsessed with who she is as a person as well as I wish I could be her friend but I don't feel cool enough <laughs> I'm sure I she would be your friend absolutely. yeah <laughs> she's so nice she's so nice to me I actually my last office I had a quote from her acknowledgments that really resonated with me and I had it painted on my wall and this was before I had ever like reached out to her and fangirled over her but yeah I would definitely stand in line for her also Rebecca Yaros whose book fourth wing is just crazy right now I I haven't read it yet I don't know that I've ever read a fantasy novel but it is on my TBR but my son my 19 year old is obsessed with that book. I have never seen him so obsessed with a book. His birthday's this week, and I have just been in her inbox like, if you have an arc of your next book, you know, it's my son's birthday. You're so like, <laughs> I feel like I'm annoying her at this point, and I've never done that with an author, like, you know, tried to beg for an arc. But, yeah, I'm so excited for her success this year. It's been great to yeah, see. Yeah, it's been because, insane to watch. It is good, I'm going to say. Is it? You it's read good. it. I don't but think I like it's dragons. My, it's not your it's thing not at all. It's not my thing. It's yeah. not my thing. I'm but like see, my, my based son, like, he, he doesn't read my books. None of them do. And my youngest has read a few, but he's every time I say, are you going to read this one? He's like, is there a dragon in it? 
And yeah. Like, no. He's like, no, I'm not going to read it. Yeah. I have two boys and a girl. They don't. Yeah. The boy, the boys have never read. Shelby's working her way through them slowly. And now a short break to thank our sponsor, Nantucket Meat and Fish Market. My friends, readers, and even characters know what's special about the Nantucket Meat and Fish Market. It is Nantucket's own year-round gourmet one-stop shop. Whether you're grabbing coffee and freshly baked bagels before heading to the beach or swinging through to grab steak tips and the island's freshest fish on the way home, Nantucket's Meat and Fish Market has something for everyone. Now with locations on Martha's Vineyard and Hilton Head, South Carolina, you deserve the best at Nantucket's Meat and Fish Market. That ad mentions your characters. Can you tell me a character that has went to Nantucket Meat and Fish Market? Yes. So in the hotel Nantucket, Magda goes to Nantucket Meat and Fish and she bumps into Chad and she can't remember his name and she starts laughing so hard and causes a little bit of a scene. (laughs) I, I love that scene. I also like really vividly describe the cases. I go to Nantucket Meat and Fish all the time. I get two things always. I get the steak, the house steak tips and I get the cilantro lime marinated salmon. Oh, I yes. Love, 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 love. I get the tuna and the noodles are so, oh, so good. Oh, the noodles are good. And they have really good chips and snack mix and, I mean, I, I, brioche rolls. Like, I, I love going there. If you're running to the beach and you need something to pick up to put in a picnic or anything, I really highly recommend Nantica Meat and Fish for so many reasons. I definitely agree. And we just call it Meat and Fish. Yeah. Right? Well, thank you so much, Nantucket Meat and Fish. Thank you. Let's talk about Books to screen. You have an adaptation of It Ends With Us. Did that, let's talk, I want to talk about the cast, but also, can you give us an update? Did it get finished before the strike, etc.? It did not, and they had put out a release date. They, I, I will say they finished the majority of it. There's okay. just a couple of scenes that they have left, and it was it was both due to the strike and then just running out of time for people's schedules who were in other TV yeah. shows. And so... I don't know. I, I I think it all depends on the story. I really don't know a lot about it or when they're going to finish the parts that they have left, but it's not much. And so they've already started putting the film together. Okay. And I actually have to return a call to Justin, who's the director and actor and producer of it, because I have a voicemail from him that says he wants to show me some stuff. So oh, I'm good. really excited to see. And I know Blake Lively is playing Lily. I don't no, can you tell us about the rest of the cast? Justin Baldoni is Ryle. Okay. Um, Blake is Lily. Brandon Skliner, who is in 1923, a Yellowstone spinoff, is Atlas. Okay. Jenny Slate is playing Alyssa. Awesome. I love her. I'm I do obsessed too. with her. <laughs> Hassan Minaj is Marshall. Yeah, so they've got a really good cast, and they've all been super, super nice i you know i got to be on set for a couple of weeks it's very surreal and still because i know like it's not out yet they've got a couple things left to do i'm not allowing myself to i just don't like to be let down and so i don't allow myself to get super excited about something until i know like okay we're gonna go to a theater and sit down and watch it on this date right do you have anything else that's being adapted that's sort of in the works Amazon Studios owns Verity. I know that they've been working on the script for that. I I really have just been kind of holding on to my stuff. I've gotten a lot of off offers, but I'm just trying to wait until something that I have sold gets complete and out there. Okay. And I kind of want to have more control and I want to see like what what kind of job do they do and do I want to work with these people or these people and and so I haven't sold anything. I've just been holding it. Because Aren't you clever? That's so smart. <laughs> well, we're in the middle of a, you know, strike. Yeah. And so I don't feel like that, you know, there's much of a hurry at this point. Hopefully, you know, they come to an agreement soon and everyone can get back to work. It's very disheartening knowing all these people are out there having to pick it every day. Oh, I know. Yeah. But... Yeah, so I'm just kind of being patient and waiting, and I just want to see what I think of the stuff that is out there, and then I'll make decisions. I want you to think back to that Colleen who was writing Slammed, didn't know how it was going to get published, you were going to do it yourself. What would you say to her right now? Holy crap. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, like, I feel like if I had 
any inclination what was coming, I would have been like, nope, that's not the life I want. <laughs> like, I was that person who felt sorry for people, like like TV stars who would get recognized. Like, growing up, I'm like, I do not want to be famous. I want to go under the radar. Like, And you don't think when you are writing a book that people are going to know your face. But it's so shocking to me. Like, I feel like every time I leave my house, someone approaches me. And I don't know what it is because I cannot recognize anyone. Like I, I can see my neighbor out of place at the grocery store and I would not have any idea who this person is. I, I have no facial recognition. And so it's always very shocking to me when people do come up and recognize me. But it's so great. Like I love it. And and I encourage people in my group. I'm like, if you see me, please come say hi because it makes my day. It really does. But as far as the rest of it, it's just... Yeah, I think I would have been, I, I'm such a homebody. I, it would have given me anxiety and I'm like, oh no, I'll just be a social worker forever. I'm not <laughs> going to do that career. So I'm glad I wasn't able to tell myself anything because I'm so happy. I have this career that I get to do what I love and it's insane. I want to go back to the the kids, because I also have a bunch of kids at home. They, and I will, I'm going to tell you, and I'm I'm being perfectly honest. They do not care that I am a writer. They don't care. They're not impressed. It has been done wonders in keeping me humble. The children, they love me. I'm their mom. I drive them around. I make their dinner. They do not care that I'm a writer. Tell me a little bit about uh, how your boys fail. Exact same. Exact same. Like, you know, and it makes sense because writing is my career and I don't remember coming home and asking my mom millions of questions about, you know, when she worked at Peddler's Pizza. I just wanted her to bring me home some pizza. And so I I get that they don't care and I love that they don't care. And it's actually a little bit embarrassing to them, you know, like they're not going to go <laughs> meet a friend and be like, oh, do you know who my mom is? Like they're going to try to avoid that topic for as long as possible. Yeah. So I, I love that. I, I just, I love that I was able to raise them in the town that I was raised in. Like we've just had, they've had a very, I don't know. I, I, I can't express like all of this that has happened with my career. It's great. But if you want me to get me, get me to talking about my pride and what I'm proud of, it is, my family yeah. like that is Good for you the most important thing to me and you know i would walk away from this career in a heartbeat if i needed to for them but yeah yeah they they do not care and they i love do it not care i know it's it's actually and i feel like it's really a tribute to us as parents that they don't care because it you know it's not about that just should never be about us yeah and i i think my my one son bartends at a restaurant on Nantucket and popular place and I think he gets asked a lot. And I think it he's, you know, it's always the eye <laughs> Yeah, roll. It's always that's, the that's eye That's how roll. it is with them. You know, it's like a, my one of my sons just got a job at a local grocery store, my teenager. And he's like, oh, I had one of your readers come through and ask me <laughs> if I was your son today. And, you know, he's proud. They're proud of me. But I also think that it's been kind of a blessing in a way, them, them growing up seeing the trajectory of my career because they ne they were never those kids that wanted to be YouTube famous or, you know, big on Twitch or anything like that. They, they've all seen, you know, that's what my mom does. I don't want anyone to know who I am. So they really don't have a presence online. And, and I feel like that's something good that's come out of this is that I didn't have to worry about, you know, them having their entire teenage years filmed and on youtube and yeah. yeah like i that that was always a fear of mine with them growing up with how social media was becoming such a big thing for kids in their generation and so i was grateful that that didn't happen and what about your husband so he's legit but what does that mean colleen listen i feel like if i start talking about my husband people will think that i'm lying <laughs> i married the best man in the world Aww. Aww. We've been together since I was 16, and he's my best friend. I yeah. just can't explain it. He's so proud of me. The only times I've ever seen him cry are, like, when things happen with my career. Like, you know, if he comes on tour with me and we walk out to this huge crowd we didn't <laughs> expect, he'll get all teary and have to walk Aww. to the back. Like, he's so proud and so happy. 
and you know in the middle of all this became a stay-at-home dad and supported me and was so happy for me that I was doing this thing that I loved and he didn't need the spotlight he didn't need to be the one bringing home the paycheck he was just happy that you know together we found this group with our family and yeah just the most supportive kindest human and and I tell my kids this a lot I'm like you know when you find someone you need someone that you respect and that makes you want to be a better person because when the butterflies are gone that's what kind of love you have like right. you have Preach. to find someone that you know that treats you well and then when the respect is there because if you don't have that when the butterflies and the infatuation leave after 20 years it's like okay this is not gonna last right. and so yeah, he's just the greatest. I could go on and on. We need a whole podcast about him, but he would just die. <laughs> I love that. Okay, this is the question I couldn't wait to ask, and it actually has nothing to do with books. I want to know how you are so good at leg wrestling. If I could ever meet you, I wouldn't ask you to sign my book. I would ask you to kick my butt in a leg wrestle. Now, can you talk to me about Listen. this, how this started, and how did you well, get so we've good? We've been doing this since we were kids. Like, um... My mom, I don't know. When we were little, I thought everyone, we called it bear wrestling. I thought everyone did this. Like we would just, our whole family, even my dad, we would take turns like leg wrestling each other. And so when I got to be about 10 or 11, my mom's a really petite kind of shorter woman. We took after our dad who was really tall. And so my sister and I, when we started beating her, she was like, oh, this isn't fair. You know, you're like 11 years old. But my sister and I were very competitive with each other. And so we would we would always try to beat each other. But I remember one time I was in high school athletics and we had to lay down and lift our legs like six inches off the ground. And and it was just one of those competitions like on Big Brother where the last man standing wins. And I would I would win all the time because I have I don't know where my thigh muscles come <laughs> in or my core, but I have very good core like a very good what they call birthing hips i guess <laughs> i have never seen you lose and it's been hilarious have you seen this Listen. No. okay ellen i it is oh, the funniest God. thing i've seen in, okay. in a long time I'm and you investigate. and i you and i are going to bear wrestle and you actually it. you'll probably with all your workouts you'll definitely probably kick am, my butt i am gonna so, kick your so butt so people do challenge me and we're like I'm, i almost got kicked out of a hotel <laughs> Like this was after the Times Gala, you guys. Like I was in a ball gown, and it was Chris Appleton, who is Kim Kardashian's hairdresser. Like he married a really good friend of mine, so we were just you know having drinks in the lobby at like midnight, and and so we decide we're gonna bear wrestle, and then security comes over. And they literally go, "This is not acceptable. You need to stop." And and I go. No, no, wait, just let me finish. And I just completely ignored him because <laughs> I wanted to beat him. And I did. I won the first one, but then he won the second one. But he's also extremely fit. So I don't I don't count that one. Okay. Well, if we ever meet, just know I'm gonna you're not gonna yes, recognize my please. face because you don't have facial recognition, but I'm gonna say <laughs> it's me, bear wrestled now, and you will totally kick my butt. Okay, we're gonna end here with a little bit of a speed round just for for some of the your favorite books. Yes. So Ellen. Okay. Favorite book when you were young? Oh, anything by Shel Silverstein. I was obsessed. Do you have a so favorite book? Where the sidewalk ends. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Loved it. Favorite book of the year so far. Oh, I haven't read a lot this year. I'm going to be honest. We've been doing a lot of traveling. I I did read Carly Fortune every summer after, of course, Emily Henry. I've, I've been really into romance this year. Nice. Favorite book of all time? Oh, I don't. I I don't have one of those. And I'm being serious. I believe like, there's you. There's no way you could pin me down even for a top five. Like I just love lots of different things. Do you have a favorite book of all time? I yeah, it's Franny and Zoe by J.D. Selinger is my favorite book of all time. I haven't read that. I'm gonna write it down. It's so good. Okay. Do you have a favorite book of your own? Um, like this is one of those that it's like, do you have a favorite kid? It depends which day of the week, you know. Like I am the proudest of it ends with us obviously because you know the connection with my mom but i had the most fun writing verity and what are you working on right now i have not been working a lot this year and i need to get started this is the time of year usually around october september where i kind of hunker down in the fall and and really 
start working on something. I have an idea for a romance that I will probably write. I was writing a thriller, but I, I stopped. I wasn't feeling it. I didn't want to push it. And so now I'm back to romance. Let me ask you this question, which I know is, I'm sorry, because we were supposed to do this speed round, but I'm so curious about this. <laughs> Does your success make it more difficult to sit down and do it? Do you feel like, do you feel the Absolutely. pressure? Do you, okay. Absolutely. I've never felt the pressure like I have this year. And and someone was like, why don't you just hire a ghostwriter? And I'm like, it's not the writing. It's not the writing that is stressful. The writing is the part I love. It's It's what happens when this book is done and I have to release it. And then I see articles and it brings up, you know, more negativity. And and, and that's where I'm trying to get past caring about any of that because I shouldn't. And I, I really don't. But it really does just put a damper on your day. And so it's knowing now the size of the audience that's out there. It, it gets in my head. Yeah. And, and it's not yeah that I can't think of anything to write. I could sit and write all day. And so I have to kind of trick myself and say okay you're gonna write today but no one's gonna read it but you no don't one's have gonna to publish read it. it yeah <laughs> i love that i love that too colleen thank you so thank much you this was so me. much fun thank you all this was so much fun and a dream come true oh just, my gosh you're a doll and we, we want to say goodbye to your mom we uh, i can't wait to meet her <laughs> i know in person you got to come to nantucket yes please come to nantucket oh, i would love to we need to do the, one of these in person we do thank you so so much <laughs> thanks thank for taking the time bye bye I can't believe that was our final episode of season one. I know. I'm so sad. Thank you, Colleen Hoover. That was so amazing. That was so, amazing. And listeners, thank you so much for joining us on this project. If you want to go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe. Or leave a review. That would be so helpful for both of us. And in very exciting news, we will have some bonus episodes this winter. So do not go too far from Books, Beach, and Beyond. And thank you so much. Thank you. Hi, book lovers, Ellen Hildebrand and Tim Ehrenberg here again. Just a few closing notes before you leave. We want to thank our wonderful premier sponsors, Nantucket Book Partners, Marine Home Center, the Nantucket Hotel, Cartelina and Nantucket Looms for their generous support in the making of this show. And we also want to thank our team behind the scenes, beginning with N Magazine. We want to thank our producer, Emmy Duncan, our technical director, Kit Noble, and our editor, Brian Murphy. We hope you'll keep tuning in for more book talks featuring a stellar lineup of special guests all season long. So please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time and happy, happy reading. reading.